Welcome to Let's Talk Fleet Risk, a podcast for those who manage drivers and their vehicles and want to reduce road risk in their organisation. I'm Simon Turner and I'm the Campaign Manager for Driving for Better Business. And my guest in this episode is Phil Hitchin, who's the Managing Director of Bellevue Manchester, an award-winning and quality-branded transport provider. In this episode, Phil and I discuss the importance of driver personality to good service and maintaining high standards across multiple locations. We talk about reducing driver stress and recognising and rewarding good driver performance. And finally, we look at why awards are so important to the business, helping to drive a culture of consistent high standards. Hi, Phil. Um, Welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Simon. Pleasure to be here. Um, Phil, most businesses only only have to worry about the risk to their drivers or other road users, yet your vehicles are generally full of customers as well, which has got to be quite a daunting challenge. What's your view on work-related road risk at Bellevue? I think from a transport point of view, um, you know, if you train your people right, your drivers right to do safety checks and health and safety announcements and show passengers what to do in the event of an emergency... I think if that becomes second nature and ingrained in them where they just reel it off every job, I think if your maintenance team follow the operational guidelines and procedures, it just runs like clockwork. And it's no uh, fluke that, you know, your insurance claims records stay low, uh, your MOT pass rates stay at 100%. You know, when it comes to vehicle inspections, the, the traffic commission, the DVSA like inspections every six weeks, we like to do ours every four weeks because we operate from a, a, an ethos of a stitching time saves nine and it keeps the fleet um, running at optimum level. So what, what's, the, what's the biggest challenge you face, do you think, in running a safe service for customers? I think in 2019, 2021, I think it's evident there's a huge uh, shortage of PCV drivers in the UK and HGV. I think um, we're quite proactive on training drivers to to basically meet a service charter, which I'd like to think is a little bit higher than the the average. We we have to recruit more numbers now to get the quality of driver we want, whereas, you know, 10 years ago, uh, they come flooding through the doors, you've got a nice fleet, you pay good wages, you're a nice company to work for, you look after your team. Um, Right now, um, after a pandemic, you know, coach drivers have, have gone into other trades. There is a huge shortage. So I think for me, the biggest challenge at the moment, got gone on for about three or four years since the CPC really kicked in, where elder drivers sort of retired and didn't want to go, go through the CPC. And there's a shortage of young drivers coming through. So I think the biggest challenge to the industry, and certainly our business, is, is getting the right calibre of drivers through the door in the first instance. And how do you then um, look at ensuring that they've got the um, capabilities um, and the right attitude? Do you, do you, how much store do you put into, or how much effort do you put into driver assessment and training to ensure that they do deliver the service, the level of service that you expect from them all? Uh, we probably do um, a lot more than your average company. Um, and we probably do some things differently than some of the top companies in the UK. And 
my philosophy is we recruit personalities and we teach them to drive later. Um, so what we do is straight from the offer and application form, we measure people's personalities. Once that's done, uh, they do a driving assessment. Um, if they get offered the position, they then do anything that can start from one day to five day induction training, depending on the experience. About 10 years ago, I knew our business could do a lot better and I knew our drivers could drive better. I knew as a business, the directors and the board and the management team could perform better. So we decided to put tracking systems on all of our fleet. What that did was it told us how drivers accelerate, how they brake and how they corner. We decided to use a system called Trafilog because I perceived that to be the market leading system. National Express favored that. Um, operators who work for National Express only seem to use the basics that National Express wanted to use, whereas we used everything. And we literally drove peak performance driving. And then when we'd done that and we're saving copious amounts of money on fuel, uh, which was about 63,000 pounds per annum, um, we decided to use this personality tool to measure people so that we could get them to respond to passengers and give a better service. So you, with the tracking system, then, um, I mean, that would typically give you a lot of data on, on driver behaviour. How, how much time do you spend analysing that data and, and, and how do you use that to sort of improve, improve performance and improve the service? So any bus coach operation has key performing indicators, you know, um, you know, if it's accounts department, they have certain KPIs that they look at, you know, uh, the bank balance, the direct cost, the sales, the overhead, they're always looking at the, they have a dashboard of figures and in operations in, in um, tracking our drivers, let's say, we have people in compliance, whether it's watching CCTV or watching the tracking system. We, we have people watching the idling times and basically it's on a scoring system. And if you visualize a scoring system for not to 200, when we first set out, we had drivers averaging between sort of 40 and 100. So not to 20 would be really good. It's what we call the 18. 20 to 50 is good. 50 to 100 I class is average. Over 100 to 150 is inefficient. And 150 to 200 is technically dangerous. So what we did, we just made a company policy to get all our drivers under 50. When we achieved that, we had one or two stragglers, you know, lurking around 60, 70. And some of these guys were experienced, you know, we're not talking about somebody who's just passed the PCV license and a bit of a novice. And just through accelerating, braking and cornering. So imagine a coach going down a, a main road at 30 miles an hour, about a quarter of a mile away to see the lights change to red. An educated driver will take his foot off the accelerator, cruise down to about 20 miles an hour. You'll see the lights change. He'll put his foot and, and feather the, the accelerator and he'll build that back up. And if you imagine you saw a chart where people was driving erratically, it would go up in the air, then drop down when it breaks. It'd be like a zigzag. When you get tracking education into drivers, those sharp points become smooth ridges like a bit of a wave on the ocean. And our driver is saying to me, hey, lad, what are you going to teach me about coach driving? I've been driving 20 years. And I said, well, this is science. Let's just go with it. And, you know, they say the girl who's monitoring it's not even got a PCV license. What's she going to teach me? And suddenly they did get all these notifications about over-accelerating, about cornering incorrectly, braking. And we educated them. We send supervisors and operations managers out with them. 
And literally in a two month period, we're talking eight weeks flat, we get all our team under 50. Then we got a league table. We have a bus uh, league, we have a school bus league, and we have a coach league. And basically what we do is we have um, 300 pounds with the prizes. So um, basically, you know, the, the top performing driver get 150 pound a month. The second and third place will get 75 pound each. And it's not because of the money, but, you know, it's a bit like uh, soldiers. You've got, the, you've got dad's army, you've got the regular army, you've got the paratroopers, you've got the SAS. Coach drivers are the same. They want to be in the SAS. They want to walk in their driver room knowing they're a top performing driver. When we got the league tables going, and it wasn't just for the money, although that did uh, influence people, um, they would compete with their colleagues to um, get the top of the, the scores. And that's driving with a zero score. Uh, that means they've had no events, they've no harsh braking, there's no over-accelerating. Um, and those KPIs that our compliance team see, if they go above the 20, which we class as the A team, uh, what happens is when people are driving efficiently, they drive safer, passengers get a comfier ride, uh, there's less roadside RTAs, there's more vehicles on the road rather than the garage being repaired. If you invest in that system and you invest the right supervisor and compliance team tracking that, drivers do perform better. When they don't, you know, there's an education training to get them where they should be. And if they haven't got the desire to improve, well, you replace them. Yeah, I, I love the idea of the SAS of coach drivers. How have the drivers responded to that then? That seems like a fairly comprehensive sort of driver recognition system where you, you, know, you really are rewarding the right attitude and good behaviours. How, how did the drivers respond to that? Well, in the early days, you know, if you, if you look at coach driving over the 60s and 70s, you know, throughout sort of northwest of England, for example, you had streets and streets of neighbours getting on a coach and going on a jolly to Blackpool for a week. And then the motor car came along and, and drivers used to have this um, repartee, really, with, the, with the, the passengers where, you know, they, they'd go on holiday and while everyone's having their dinner... Uh, they swap all the pajamas of everyone on the first floor with everyone on the second floor, and they cause chaos. And you know, there was very, once there was out of that coach depot, there was very much a, a law unto themselves. Fast forward to you know 2020, a driver's now got a tracking system monitoring his, his every move. You know, any, any operations manager on his mobile phone can see where any fleet vehicle is at any time. They can see where the engine's on or off. We have live CCTV on the vehicles. We'll actually see what's moving. So they're very much controlled. And when that came in, you know, over the last 10 years, drivers were a little bit negative towards it. But once they realise if they have an insurance claim against them, that's not their fault, it's non-fault. You know, we have eight cameras all over the vehicle, four inside, four outside. And the, the, those cameras support the evidence of the story of the driver, and we have non-fault claims. At first, drivers were a little bit negative. In this day and age now, we live in a transparent world. Um, it's just second nature, the driver's taken on board. And quite like it, really. You know, they've got cameras there covering them. Operations can support them if there was any hostile events on the road, which, you know, very rare that happens. We do live in a a business society on the motorway network and regional roads and you do get unsavory behavior sometimes with motorists and i think drivers feel a bit more secure now 
Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's quite clear that you put a lot of effort into this. And I know on the on the website, you've got not only uh, your safety policy, but also your core values on safety. So, what, you know, what, what do those core values mean to you as the, you know, the managing director of that business? What they mean to me is, you know, if I went to a restaurant and I see a nice menu uh, and there was a, a bit of a start with about the core values of, where the, the, the food is sourced from and how the chef is passionate about cooking certain ingredients a certain way to give a certain flavor. That would really infuse you to buy into that brand. You know, everybody has favorite brands. You know, if I buy clothes like Hugo Boss, if, you know, there's certain Italian restaurants are frequent in Manchester. When it comes to coach travel, there are people who just, you know, pick up the phone once a year and they want to jolly to the seaside or for the Christmas party. But there are other corporate organisations and schools and education centres that have passengers moving every day. And with our core values, you know, it's not something we're playing at. It's our livelihoods. It's something we've done for decades. We like people to understand our ethos on coach travel. And our ethos is every every school trip should be safe. And not only that, it should be fun packed. It should be a carefree adventure. I remember when I was about 10 years of age, I had a coach trip to Chatsworth House. I'm going to clue who the driver was, who the company was. I just remember I went to a nice stately home. If somebody said to me, you know, they went on a, a Bellevue coach trip and they didn't know the driver's name and they didn't know it was our company, I would be horrified because we like our drivers to present to the passengers in a certain way. I think values are very important to any business. You operate, obviously, across the country from yeah. London right up to Scotland. And I think you operate throughout Europe as well, don't you? And, and you subcontract to other companies and um you've got a really sort of broad operation geographically so and i think you've grown quite rapidly too haven't you so how do you ensure those standards are maintained across all the locations in which you operate so if, if we do a deal with a customer or we take on a new member of staff or we subcontract to another company we like to communicate well and the deal has to work for both ways so if we take on a new member of staff, you know, we promise to pay every month on the 7th of the month. We promise to pay bonuses for the peak performance. Uh, there are other perks and benefits, which I won't bore you with, that we promise to do. And what we expect in return is with that con contract of employment is, you know, to, to be smart and well-groomed, to carry out safety checks, to act in the company's best interests, to be on, on their best performance day in, day out. Uh, when it comes to dealing with subcontractors, um, so we operate from Manchester in the northwest of England. We operate all around the UK, mainly in the northwest, a little bit in London, spasmodically around certain cities like Glasgow and Edinburgh. We do tours into Europe. All those tours into Europe are not from operating centres in Europe. They're, they're all trips that come from the northwest of England or in the Midlands, occasionally down south, that go all around Europe. And they, they are for tour operators or private hire groups. With we're strategic partners, we have located, so we have um, an array of operators. Um, and I think about eight, ten years ago, somebody phoned me up and said, you know, I want five coaches in London, I want you to do it. We didn't have any fleet in London. So we, we started getting industry partners who have our same ethos of quality, uh, vehicle presentation, maintenance standards. Uh, we'd obtain their licenses, insurance, their operational guidelines. We'd, we'd get them to sign paperwork. And we'd do a cross deal. So, you know, if they represent us in London, we represent, they, we represent those in Manchester. And then that happened with other cities. You know, occasionally 
very, very occasionally, you might get a slight poor performance with one operator. We will repair that or, you know, we drop that operator. But normally, we, we just marry up with drivers who want to work on our ethos. We'd marry up with other subcontractors who work on that. And, you know, we, we promise to pay uh, at the rate agreed and have a working relationship that works, really, and is reciprocated. I know you you subcontract work out to partner companies that you said, but equally, um, you're effectively a subcontractor to some corporate clients. And one of the things I wanted to delve a little bit deeper into was um, where you're an outsourced transport provider for a business and that business effectively still has you know a duty of care to its staff you might be running a, a shuttle um, you know minibus shuttle service for a, for a business or you might be running a a coach trip to take business um, directors or clients out somewhere so your client has a duty of care to ensure the safety of all those staff and that the transport service is provided uh, you know in accordance with the law it's done safely the vehicles are all main, well maintained all of that so how important do you think your clients take that and how and how important do you take that responsibility to ensure that you can prove to that business that client that business customer that you do all of these things to these things to such a high standard well, everything we do is audited. So whether it's vehicle presentation, driver service, driver presentation, driving skills, etc., And they can leave comments. Uh, they can leave negative comments for improvement. They can leave praise. Um, they can give an overall driver summary and a testimonial. So we would work, when we get those off after sales around the table every Friday afternoon, tens and tens of after sales forms, sometimes hundreds, we will look at those and we're not looking for the 10 out of 10 and the glowing testimonial, although that's very good. We can use those testimonials on websites. What we're looking for is somebody says something like, you know what, everything was 10 out of 10, thought the service was great. However, the coach was five minutes late. So we, we think it's really important to get a great start on any journey. Uh, if you're late, if there's a breakdown, if the customer's frustrated, it takes hours and hours out of that day to pull that back. Uh, and it can be pulled back, but our, our philosophy, just like preventive maintenance, is to look at the after-sales forms, look where we can improve the business, and it, it's evolving all of the time, you know. I find that bit really interesting, actually, because fatigue and stress and things like that are significant contributors to um, collisions and uh, and such like, and actually what you're doing with it you called it preventative maintenance what you're actually doing is removing some of that stress from the drivers because they're all more prepared aren't they they're, they're in earlier they know what to expect it's taken a lot of that stress away from drivers which just makes them calmer and less likely to have an accident doesn't it very much so so if you look at the pyramid of an organization your board of directors at the top then the senior management and the operations team then your garage staff and, and then your valeters and then your drivers. And in any normal organization, you would see the pyramid with the directors at the top and the drivers at the bottom. Really, you need to reverse that. So the drivers at the top and the directors are at the bottom because really drivers are out there battling through traffic. Congestion these days is far more uh, serious than it was say 30 years ago. Drivers need every resource to be able to execute their job to a high standard. We, they, they feed things back. 
And I think listening to the drivers and changing things, people feel more valued. I think in terms of taking details and, and being thorough really on bookings rather than the driver being a bit blind, it all makes for a calmer day. It's all down to the planning really, Simon. Yeah, um, and, and you plainly do that well. I know you've got your safety policies on uh, on the website as well. You're proud of those, and they clearly work extremely uh, well in practice. And you know, you you've got a whole load of coach UK coach awards as a company. So you you've got been awarded best coach company, best business, best customer service, innovation awards. But it's not just the business; it's the individual staff as well. So your staff have received industry recognition. Um, you know, whether they're and not just the drivers, you've got engineers, customer service staff, office staff. So you've you've obviously created a really fantastic culture in the business where everybody in Bellevue follows, you know, the, the values of the business mean as much to the individual staff as they do to you. So has that translated into benefits for the business? So, that, you know, um, in, in terms of higher performance, lower crashes, lower costs, what, what are the business benefits from operating the business as you do? What the benefits are is we, we have a, a very, very strong people culture. And around seven years ago, we invested in five brand new Mercedes-Benz Turismo coaches. And Evobus, who we bought them off uh, the Mercedes-Benz dealership, uh, invited us over to Turkey to watch the coaches being made. And then they invited us to um, Petronas Formula One team. And we had a tour around one of their factories. My co-director, who's a bit of a petrol head, saw Nico Rosberg's Formula One racing car. I wasn't particularly interested in that. But what I was interested in was the ethos of Mercedes-Benz Formula One team. When you see Nico Rosberg um, shake the champagne when he wins a race, everybody thinks he's the man. What they don't realise is when he goes in the pit, there's 12 engineers there, one with an earpiece. And in that earpiece is 42 engineers back in Northampton with a computer connected to some part of that car. So the moral of the story is it's a team game. Coach driving is exactly the same. If we're going to get a 10 out of 10 performance for doing a coach tour or a corporate trip, those mechanics have to be on board, the operations manager have to be on board, the accounts and compliance and HR teams are all part of that. So we really get across a great team ethos. We want people who are passionate about what they do. When we look at industry awards, we think who's the best performing people within our business. We put our people to compete because what we like them to do is have a taste of success. And, you know, there's all sorts of awards from Unsung Hero. That's someone who goes around, does a great job and never gets any thanks and not recognised. Bit like a defender and midfielder in the football team, really, not the guy who scores all the goals. But we like to decorate our people. And once they get a taste of that, success breeds success. And, you know, when somebody sees, you know, we're working with the UK coach driver of the year, they all want a taste of that. The only reason we do that is they're after that accolade, they've got to do a high standard of service, customer service on board that coach. And that just brings more business in. Uh, well, I was going to ask that, actually. So, you know, uh, delivering to that level and the staff culture and the awards, um, you know, that requires a lot of effort as a team to put all that together. Does that actually translate into a higher level of business? You know, does it make a difference when you're pitching for work? Well, of course it makes a difference. You know, if you was going to, to look to hire a coach company to transfer your staff or guests or clients, you know, and you've got a company who, you know, not 
only invest in new modern vehicles, but we've got all these safety standards and KPIs that are quite impressive. But we've got a team who, you know, clearly demonstrates customers number one and king, and they communicate more effectively. I don't know any other passenger transport business in England who teaches their drivers to communicate with their passengers in that way. I think um, it's one of the biggest benefits I see with uh, when it's clear that a company is um, operating at that level, it really does translate into a better uh, impression with the potential clients. It helps retain business. It helps win uh, new business. So and I think you've sort of proved that again. You've been running Bellevue and its current guys now for around 25 years, I think. So I've got a final question for you, which is, What's the most important thing that you've learned around managing drivers and managing vehicles in, in that time? I think it's learning to light people's fire, really. People have different passions. And if you want somebody to perform at a certain level, you, you need to find their hot button. Uh, you need to find their switch that turns them into um, someone who's got desire, desire to perform. Um, the biggest thing I see across the industry, really, when you go to coach parks, you know, you go to Orton Towers and you see different levels of desire of drivers. Uh, some are there just for the sake of it. Some are there just to earn a living. Some drivers will do the minimum they have to do that day to get through the day. And others just exude customer service, you know. So I think it's finding people's desire. It's trying to line up their personal goals and, and wants and needs for their aspirations and lining them up with the the company's business model and when that happens fantastic things start to happen we, we've won sort of um, engineer of the year in our garage we've had other people take silver and bronze and i'm talking young people here not people who've have been experienced for decades we've had some unsung heroes in operations we've had uk coach driver of the year two years ago i think for me the biggest thing i've learned about the business is nothing mechanical or operational it's about human behavior and how we can get the peak performance teams. Fantastic final pearl of wisdom. Thank you, Phil. Um, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your insights with us. Really appreciate it. You're very welcome, Simon. I wish you all the best. If you manage drivers and their vehicles and you face similar issues to those discussed in this podcast, there are links in the show notes to some useful resources on the Driving for Better Business website. And these are all free to access. If you enjoyed the conversation, please don't forget to hit subscribe so you know when the next episode is released. And please also give us a five-star review as this helps us to get up the podcast rankings and makes it more visible to others who might also find it useful. You can follow us, that's Driving for Better Business, on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. And most importantly, please help us to spread the word. All our resources are free for those who manage fleets and their employees who drive for work. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Fleet Risk and I look forward to welcoming you to the next episode. Brought to you by Driving for Better Business.